everyone. Welcome to session two in our study of James. Now, as you remember from last week, we discussed how the trials of life can actually benefit us because from verse one, three, we know that it can produce in us endurance and endurance leads to a complete life in Christ that is not lacking. So let's continue by reading James 1, 5 through 12 from the CSB. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exultation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So in verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, this verse, I believe, connects back to verse 4, which says, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I believe that James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us here that to those of us who may be confused by the high goal of having a life that lacks nothing, don't worry. Assistance from God is readily available in the form of godly wisdom. All we need to do is ask, according to verse 5. So if you're wondering how to attain a life that is not lacking, God can give you the wisdom that you need. Just ask. To receive God's wisdom through trials, we must be wise in how we ask. Verse 6 says that we must ask in faith without doubting. The translation suggests the idea of vacillating or being double-minded. Literally, the word doubt here means two-souled. It's like we're saying, well, I'm not sure God is willing or able to grant my request, but I'm going to ask just in case to cover my bases. I mean, I really don't see any other option. No, we must believe that when we ask for wisdom for God to handle or understand or get through our situation, that he will grant our request. Now, you may be thinking, well, why ask for wisdom instead of deliverance? Well, because wisdom helps us to understand how to use the circumstances for our good and God's glory. Because when we doubt God, whether his ability or his willingness it's like being the sea, tossed around and driven by the wind, according to verse 6. I can remember when I was young, my grandfather took our whole family deep sea fishing. Now, I loved the ocean, and I enjoyed fishing, so I was really looking forward to it. As the boat was driving to our fishing location, it felt great, with the wind blowing in my face and the beautiful sky and overhead and the waves passing by. But then the boat stopped at our fishing site. And as I let down my line, I could feel the queasiness beginning to set in. As the boat rocked back and forth, so did my stomach, my first experience of seasickness. Now, our guide told us that the remedy for this is to focus on the horizon because that was the stationary point. And it worked. As long as I focused on the horizon and not the swirling waves around me, I didn't feel as sick. Well, doubt takes our focus off God and what he can do. 
I mean, it was doubt that made Peter sink down in the waves as he was walking on the water to Jesus in Matthew 14. You see, he began his walk in faith till he took his eyes off Jesus and began looking at the waves. Doubt weakens our faith. And in verses 7 and 8, it says that doubters should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all their ways. You see, there's a part that we as believers have to play when it comes to making requests to God. We must not doubt him, and we must have faith. Many Christians are like corks on the waves, up one minute and down the next, tossed back and forth. And this is a sign of immaturity, because people who doubt God will be unstable and unable to use godly wisdom. I mean, think about it. You wouldn't give a person who was addicted to gambling a blank check because they aren't in the right frame of mind in that moment to handle it. Well, doubters are not in the right frame of mind to accept and use godly wisdom. In verse 9 and 10, it says, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. So it seems that money and social status were big issues in the first century Middle East. Are we glad we don't have to worry about that today? Well, here in verses 9 through 11, James is contrasting spiritual riches and material riches. Difficulties, or as verse 2 says, trials, come to all people, whether rich or poor. And one must not depend, whether rich or poor, on material wealth to save him. Whatever the person's social or economic standing whether humble circumstances, as in verse 9, or rich, as in verse 10, all believers must keep an eternal perspective. Verse 9 says, Let the brother in humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. A Christian in humble circumstances can be glad in their high standing spiritually. Romans 8, 16-17 says, We are children of God and heirs with Christ. 1 Peter 1, 4 says, we are heirs to an inheritance that is imperishable, kept in heaven for us. Verse 10 says, But let the rich boast in his humiliation. So the rich can be glad for their human frailty, knowing that they have eternal glory in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Verse 11 says, For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Social prominence withers away like a flower in the hot sun. So whether a person is wealthy or poor or somewhere in between, our only hope in this life the only thing that will not pass away, the only thing worth boasting about, is our faith in God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Human culture is different than God's kingdom. As Christians, we are all in the same field, so to speak. God shows no favoritism, according to Romans 2.11. So I believe James is stressing the fact that the rich shouldn't be prideful and elevate themselves beyond what they should. And those who don't have wealth should not feel rejected or humiliated. Now, in verse 12, James returns again to the subject of trials, which is how he began the chapter. 
So it may be that he's making the point in verses 9 through 11 that whether we are of humble means or rich, we mustn't trust in material wealth to save us from difficulties. Trials come to all of us, and our finances will not save us from them. The best way to make it through trials is to continue in the faith, remain steadfast, and endure. James says in verse 12, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This is great encouragement, because it reminds us that those who endure trials will be rewarded. Now, in what ways is the Christian rewarded? Well, first of all, by growing in Christian character, which means more in likeness to Christ which should be our ultimate goal as his followers. The more like Christ we become, the more meaningful and fulfilling our lives become. Our endurance during the trials and tribulations of life also brings glory to God. One commentator puts it this way, First the cross, then the crown. First the suffering, then the glory. God does not help us by taking the difficulty away from our lives, but instead, making the difficulty work for our good. Satan wants to use a testing to tear us down, but God uses it to build us up. Notice James in verse 12 says, When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. God has promised to those who love him. Not to the strongest or most obedient Christians, but to the ones who love God. Why love? Well, because love is the driving force in God's relationship with man. It is love that drove God to send his only son to pay the price for our sins. Love drove Jesus to an excruciating death so that we can have eternal life. And love should be our motivation for choosing joy and remaining faithful in the face of affliction. You see, faith, hope, and love are all a part of the same package for the Christian. And when we are single-minded and our love for Jesus overrides everything else, then we will be faithful and not lose hope. James 1.8 says, A double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. It's similar to an unfaithful spouse. They won't aren't, and not, aren't committed to one love. And a double-minded Christian wants to love both God and the world. And this person inevitably will cave under and learn nothing from the travails of life. But the person who loves God unequivocally and knows that God loves them will not fall apart when God permits trials to come because they are secure in God's love. Matthew Henry says, We only bear the cross for a while, but we shall wear the crown to eternity. Every soul that truly loves God shall have its trials in this world fully recompensed in that world above, where love is made perfect. Now, as we close, our challenge question is, are we fully convinced of God's love for us? When calamity strikes, oftentimes our first response is, why is this happening? If God truly loved me, then he wouldn't allow this to happen. But see, that line of thinking is a trap. The devil is all too happy to lead us into. It's a trap because a question like that misrepresents who God is. The assumption that God loves us too much to let anything happen to us is a fallacy. Sometimes the greatest good comes from the greatest difficulty. As parents, we allowed our children to suffer punishment when they sinned. 
because we knew that allowing sinful pleasure to continue would only cause future destruction. We allowed our children to suffer pain when they got their vaccinations and immunizations. They were only babies. They didn't deserve to be hurt. But we knew momentary pain now would prevent long-term painful diseases later. We wanted our children to trust us, their loving parents, that even though they didn't understand why or didn't think they deserved it, that we knew it was all for their benefit, and it was only because we loved them that we allowed this temporary pain in their lives. Well, why would we expect anything different from our eternal, loving Father God? Lamentations 3, 32 and 33 says, Even if the Lord causes suffering, He will show compassion according to the abundance of His faithful love. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any created thing can separate us from the love of God. May we trust that the love of God will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.